Brad Duncan's latest book is about substance abuse. Most of us have known someone whose life has been affected by some form of substance abuse. In Brad's interview today, he is going to share true life stories of people who have suffered through the dark trenches of addiction and emerge victorious. This is going to be exciting. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Brad Duncan has a Bachelor of Science degree in radiography and works at the Baptist Health Hospital. He is the author of eight books. Welcome, Brad. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. It's good to be here. Oh, and I'm so excited to hear what you're going to share because this is the subject that affects everybody's lives in some way, shape, or form. But we're going to talk about a lot of different things, including wonderful stories that you're going to share about redemption and rejuvenation and reconciliation and all those. So I'm looking forward to this. What stage in your life did you decide you wanted to write and what kind of books did you think you were going to write? I know you did mention at one point that you didn't think you'd ever be an author. So just talk to us about that journey. <laughs> well, I was definitely not the top in my class. I think the the person <laughs> who was most surprised that I wrote a book was my high school English teacher. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I had a story bouncing around in my head um, ever since I was a teenager. And uh, one weekend, I was just kind of bored and thought, I'm going to write this down. And I began to write the story out just to kind of see where it went. And I was planning on sticking it in a drawer and, and really not doing anything with it. But as I uh, continued to write, um, I really felt like it was a pretty good story. And I showed it to some friends of mine. And, uh, and they really liked it and said that I should uh, get it published. Back then, I had no idea. This was uh, 2012. Had no idea that you could do that on your own. I figured you had to go to a traditional publisher to get that kind of stuff done. But I discovered self-publishing. What kind of story was it? It was a story about a pastor who goes through a crisis of belief and what comes out of it. Okay. I actually got that published and showed it to uh, my pastor. And he said that if I... If I wanted to uh, promote it, that he would do a six-week sermon series out of that book. <laughs> and, and that kind of kicked off my uh, career, I guess. <laughs> no kidding. Wow, what a compliment. There's been a lot of people who uh, have given me a lot of accolades about it, and uh, I just try to use it. Um, it's a good hobby, and I feel like it does a lot of good for people. <laughs> other, what other books have you written? Yeah, I've written three 
fiction books, and I've written um, two deer hunter devotionals from Stories Growing Up Deer Hunting. You got to share one of those. So I uh, I had some wild and crazy times like everyone in the deer woods. So I really felt like sharing those stories for guys and, uh, and girls who hunt too. Um, would be good. So I took uh, real life stories of growing up in the deer woods, kind of going from boyhood to manhood, and uh, and applied that to life lessons. Um, and it's uh, two devotionals, uh, Deer Hunters Devotional 1 and 2. And uh, several men's groups have used those to uh, go through. Look, you going to share a story? So in one of our stories, my dad and I were going to scout out a stand before we hunted it the next day. And uh I climb up in this deer stand that's about 14 feet tall, and just as I put my hand up on the platform to, to crawl up into it, I feel something hit my neck, oh. and then something else hit my face, and I realize that wasps are swarming me. So I take about two steps down the ladder and just kind of jump backwards and fall all the way to the ground. And my dad is just laughing his head off, and then all of a sudden he yells, and a wasp has stung him in the ear. So uh, we went back with some uh, with some twenty foot wasp spray, and I took care of those little demons. So the lesson learned there is don't laugh at your son. <laughs> I think that is the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> what inspired you or motivated you to be a writer, and also for what you are doing now? There was a time in your life when you had or you were at a family visitation for a 21-year-old who had just passed away from a drug overdose. And I'm sure that this, well, I know that this had a great impact on you as it would on anyone. And your life did change from that day. So tell us what happened. Yeah, so on a uh, hot August day, I was standing in a long visitation line for an extended family member, uh, Justin Watson. A 21-year-old great young man, and uh, he had relapsed um, and overdosed. And as I stood there in that line looking at all the people who were just hurting, um, who loved him, and, and what a wasted life that, uh, that he, you know, he could have had. It's not something that I've been through myself, so how can I engage in this fight over addiction? Mm-hmm. And I just felt like uh, I felt led to... St- to tell stories of hope, to connect with people who've gone through this darkness and overcome it and that are now living healthy lives. And how did you go about doing that? Well, I had a, uh, I had a cousin who I'm very close with go through it, and he had just got out of a place called Renewal Ranch outside of Conway, Arkansas. So I called him and I asked him if he'd be willing to share his story. And he was more than willing to, so, uh, so we connected. And then I asked him if he knew anybody else. And then I began to call some pastors and other people that I know um, in the hospital um, industry, and they connected me with other people. And just over time, I gathered these stories, and, and I was real intentional. Um, Colors of Salvation, the title, has kind of a double meaning. Um, one is that I tried to get a cross-section of the public. I tried to get all races and ages and statuses as far as social statuses um, and genders because drug addiction or substance abuse uh, cuts across all lines. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich or black or white. It can affect anybody in the world at any time. That's true, because you see just as many drug addicts in the affluent as you do the very poor. It's heart-wrenching. 
do you have besides the story that that here that changed your life and the way that you wanted to start help people along these lines is do you have something that you can share with the audience to encourage them possibly to how they can help and what to look for how to step in anything along those lines that you can share yeah so the first thing i would say is that there is hope um so many times a situation looks hopeless uh, but there's hope and there's people who go through it and go through it. Um, one gentleman that's in the book, he went through 40 rehab facilities uh, before it finally took. Um, took him a long time, but now he is a dynamic speaker and leader that helps a lot of people. One thing that I'd like you to address that just came to me as you as you were talking, and that is... When people go to a AA meeting, I've never been, but from what I understand and from what you see on TV, they always make the statement, their name, and then they say alcoholic. That has always bothered me. Me because, too. Okay, so please address that. This, this has come up for a reason. When someone goes for recovery, um, I believe that God can fully restore them, fully recover them, where they're not an alcoholic any longer. They're not a drug user any longer. There may still be a temptation, but our identity changes um, with that. I believe you can overcome anything, not that you won't be tempted again, but that you can be through the process and healed. And what about children or family members, the the younger generation? What can we do even as not even related to them, but give us some some tips on how we can possibly um, direct people to the right type of facilities or what steps should they take to help somebody? So if you, if you know someone who is struggling or you think that they're struggling with drug addiction or alcohol addiction, there are one, one thing that I've found out through this process, I wasn't real familiar with addiction and recovery and that, you know, I had an idea of what it was and, and from a distance kind of knew, but since I've kind of been on the ground with it, um, in the past few, few months, um, there are so many places now that there weren't in the past that are willing to help. You can get online and find places. Um, You can also talk to local churches and most of them have um, connections to people who are willing to help. And most of them are financially reasonable. Some are very expensive, but there is a ton of, uh, of available free places that people can go for three months, six months, a year to get healthy. And what, what do you do with the person who doesn't feel that there's a problem? Well, ultimately, it's up to that person to want to get help. You can't force somebody into recovery. That's one thing that I have uh, heard over and over from the people who are running the programs and have been through it. Uh, many times, unfortunately, they've got to hit rock bottom before they're willing to get help. You know, you, you love on them. You tell them that there's hope. You tell them there's places they can go. In fact, this past weekend, um, a young a young lady uh, called me and said that um, she was an alcoholic and wanted help, and she had heard that I help people. So I can my wife and I connected with her that evening. Uh, we had a good conversation. Took her out to eat. She said she wanted help. 
I told her, you know, we would get with her the next day and try to figure out, give her her options. And, and I haven't heard from her in three days, which is, it's not unusual, but when she's ready for help, she knows that she can call me and that I will guide her in the right direction. Excellent answer. And I think that a lot of us who, who care about this type of individual and or see it around us or in our families that's exactly what we do letting them know without condemning them mm-hmm. or making them feel guilty as much as you would like to you know hit them up one side of the head but <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know especially when when they're younger but you know you can't because it's just going to build it's not going to build a bridge it's going mm-hmm. you know it's going to just cause a riff absolutely so what is your passion like what drives you to do this what what do you want to see happen and change possibly in society or what what do you want to do in this field in this field um my desire is just to help people and really that's just kind of my desire of my life um i've messed up as much as anybody i don't have the same struggles that other people do i have you know different struggles myself than than some people but um we're all imperfect we're all you know, we're all struggling some way. And uh, if I can help people, um, and I believe the best thing I can do is uh, is love them like Jesus loved me, then that's my goal in life. I don't think there's anything worse for a mom to see her child knowing that they are probably addicted, but they're hiding it. Knowing that whether it's they're partying too much or going to, or they might be into drugs and you don't really know for the, a fact, you don't want to ask them, they might get angry. I know you did say to love on them, etc. But even at that stage where we aren't sure, we don't know. I know there's helps online that'll help us to look for the signs. But how do we address it in young people in particular? I mean, we've all known people as adults, of course. But that is where my heart is. And I think that's also a lot of where your heart is. So how can we approach this without coming across as a heavy, like don't do drugs? Yeah, so I've worked with uh, youth for over 20 years now. And uh and it takes time sometimes to to let them make mistakes, uh, experience some hurt. Um, but if we're there for them uh, during those times when they do hurt, they know where to go. They know who cares. Um, whether they whether you think they're hearing what you're saying or not, mm. they hear your actions. They see what you do. And if you're there for them. When the time is right, they will come to you. They will open up to you. And, and a lot of times it, it takes a lot of hurt before they want help. And it's hard. I can't even imagine as a parent. Uh, I have three daughters myself. And some of the things that uh, parents go through that just breaks our heart, it's tough to allow them to make mistakes. But if we enable them and just coat over their mistakes, it doesn't help them in the long run. Don't you think, too, that as a parent in particular, communication is key? Yeah, especially when it feels like you're talking to a wall when you're talking to a teenager. I think being creative in your conversations Mm. is very important as a parent. How old are your kids? I have a 29, a 25, and a 24-year-old. And what do you attribute 
that they they got through that time in their life without having these issues? Uh, I think that tried to uh, put the fear of God in them early, <laughs> so that that didn't hurt. Um, even I realize kids who are in church every week and their parents are very good parents still fall into this. So right. it, it's not ne- not necessarily just going to church or just being a good parent. Having that dialogue, telling them, um, you know, explaining to them early on and in different ways that they can understand about life and about things that they're going to be facing coming up is very important as a parent. And how to how to deal with these life issues too? give them coping skills, I would think. Oh, absolutely. Because my girls have all made mistakes. I mean, they've all, you know, and just like me, I mean, everybody Uh has made mistakes. And we look back and we can either learn from those mistakes and get better or we can continue to make those mistakes and live in regret and misery. And I think getting kids active, which I know a lot of parents do, you know, keeping them in sports and et cetera. But with COVID now, I've noticed that this is a real problem. Can you address that at all? Have you noticed a change there? COVID in in particular over the last year, there's been a huge spike in addiction. I mean, these recovery places that I talked to and the guys who are there, they said it's just rampant right now. So they're just, they don't have enough beds. They don't have enough help. Um, they're doing their best just to try to help who they can right now. But um, yeah, kids, obviously, the things that they've gone through over the last year, we don't really understand from their point of view. Uh, they've lost a lot of their connections. It's getting uh, where they're socially unable to be around people. They can connect online and things like that. But when they're physically around people, I've had a lot of my friends tell me that their kids are having a hard time adjusting to that. So it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough deal with depression and, and hurt and, and all the changes that they've gone through um, over the last year through this parents and kids alike. But the upside is, as you said, right off the top, it's hope. Nothing is over until it's over. And we can always not only hope for the best, but steer them in the right direction, give them encouragement, not condemnation. Anything else you want to say about hope? Well, I believe that, uh, that this is a book of hope. I believe that, um, the people who shared these stories, they shared it for a reason. And that reason is that, and to a, to a person told me I was, I was dead. I was just, there was nothing inside of me that was alive. Now I'm living healthy. Now I'm excited to go live my life. You know, that's just incredible. I mean, that's, that's a walking miracle right there to go from death to life. Absolutely. We're just going to take a short 30 second break. And then I want to hear some of these stories. I want to hear possibly your worst story, your best story, whatever you would like to share (laughs) to encourage people because people love stories. I love stories. So let's just take a break and we'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. 
All right, we're ready for some stories. Well, uh, the first story I share is a, a gentleman I know personally um, very well. His name is uh, Johnny Couples, and he is uh, the Celebrate Recovery leader at uh, my home church in Benton, Arkansas, Holland Chapel. Um, Johnny's story starts out where uh, where he grew up and went into the military. And uh, while he was over in Vietnam, he uh, acquired a heroin addiction. Um, When he got back home, that only escalated. And it escalated to the point where at one time he became the most wanted man in California. He was dealing um, heroin, meth. I mean, all across the board. Uh, He got out of California before they caught him and uh, moved to Arkansas, where he bought some land and began his his business here. One night, he was having a party, and he had come really to the end of himself. Uh, Even though he had money and he had land and toys and all that stuff, um, he just... He was just empty inside, and he decided that he was uh, just going to end his life. So he had about 20 people there, he said, and ran them all off with a pistol and uh, sat on the porch. And he said, well, he sat there. um, Some deer walked up to his porch, and he sat there. He said in the peace of that moment that that God just revealed himself to him, and he felt like life, there's something more to life than what I'm living um, he ended up uh, going to jail and uh, in prison, he, uh, he started a prison ministry. And uh, once he got out, he uh, became, became a, a recovery leader and to this day uh, is just leading a dynamic ministry, helping other people. And I know that at any time, day or night, I can call him. And if I have somebody that needs help, he'll be there. What a recovery story. Absolutely. Anything else? Oh, uh, yeah. There's a a young lady named Sarah. And Sarah was a girl that was in my youth group. Um, Sarah developed a a substance abuse problem in high school. She ended up uh, having a baby and losing her baby um, because of of drugs. Uh, Was just kind of living the party life and kind of once again, came to the end of herself, all the fun of that, you know, is temporary. Mm -hmm. And when Mm -hmm. it runs out, um, you kind of wonder what is, you know, what's life worth living. Um, but today she is uh, restored to her daughter. She is happily married. And I believe yesterday or the day before had her second child and (laughs) is doing fantastic. That's wonderful. Along those lines, do you believe in tough love? I believe there's a, uh, a different approach for each person. I think okay. there's a time and a place for tough love. Absolutely. Um, I also believe that if you just take one approach, that you probably aren't going to hit everybody the same way. I think that each person responds differently. I know with my girls, I had to learn that uh, discipline uh, for each one had to look differently for them to respond. Um, and I think it's kind of the same way with people um we just all respond in in different ways to different things good answer i appreciate that that's there's not a cut and dried cookie cutter right and you are also a speaker are you not and it if for groups or schools or addiction centers 
Yeah, I've, uh, I, I travel around and I speak at churches and uh, share my books with them. Um, I speak at recovery centers. I speak at a lot of men's events uh, with the Deer Hunter books. Um, after working with youth for so long, I've decided that uh, speaking to youth and men is kind of the same thing. <laughs> kind of I the same love level. That. I really enjoy going around and, uh, and being able to share. And when you share, are you sharing mostly stories or do you share tips? And if so, any anything you want to share from that? I share uh, both. Um, I do share stories because I believe that people relate to stories more than they do facts a lot of times. All right. Fair enough. Your other books. Now, you talked a little bit about the deer hunters and, and the the one on the addiction, uh, substance abuse. What other books do you have? So my first book uh, is called First Fruits, and uh, it's a story of a pastor who goes through a crisis of belief and what comes out of that, how his uh, faith uh, changes and how his congregation changes because of, of that. Uh, there's a sequel to that called Second Chances. Um, I also wrote a uh, book called The Decision, and it's kind of a a neat book, I think. Um, It's actually a parallel story. So I took a a young man who uh, is a popular high school athlete, and uh, he goes to a youth service on a Wednesday night, and it comes down to the altar call. And if you're familiar with church, then you'll know an altar call is when they invite you to come forward to pray or Um, So it comes to that point. Well, the rest of the book um, follows his life. Uh, Half of the the chapter is if he follows Christ, and the second half is if he goes his own way. And I tried to make it true to life in that everything's not great when he follows Christ. He has hardships and, and tough times, and everything's not awful when he doesn't follow Christ because there's fun to be had in the world without following Christ. Uh, the difference is the the repercussions and what comes out of that and how his life parallels um, through all of that. So basically, it's our decisions. Yes. What message would you like the audience, in summary, to take away today? Uh, if it's okay, I'll close with uh, the final um, little part of Neil's story here. I got it right here. And this is what he says. Despite the lies I used to tell myself, I now understand there's nothing in my past that Jesus can't forgive. And once you believe it, once you receive it, once you know him, you'll know how good he is. And once you know in your heart you've been forgiven, you start living differently. You live grateful for the grace you've been given. And the grace of Jesus changes everything. That's a beautiful way to close. And I thank you so much, Brad, for what you have shared today on Never Ever Give Up Hope. And we're going to put all your books on your site so that people can tap in. And I'm sure that you are also open to anyone who would like to email you or contact you or possibly discuss with you a situation that that they need help with. Absolutely. Um, You can connect with me through uh, booksbybrad.com. And if you message me, I'm usually able to get back with you pretty quick. All right. That's great. And thank you again. Hey, thank you so much for you do, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. 
Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.